Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome back to another 2021-22 postgame recap. Doing several sports tonight, but obviously basketball to start. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Time Tripper Podcast, Apple Podcasts, follow us on Spotify, and of course to follow us on all social media platforms at Facebook, TikTok, Instagram, and Twitter at Dime Dropper Pod. Make sure especially to follow on Twitter because next week we will be starting my first ever space, a Twitter space. My regular show on Hoop Spaces, Dimes Bank, from 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Time on Thursdays. Every Thursday for the foreseeable future. 11 a.m. to 1 p.m. Pacific Time. That would be 2 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. Talking anything basketball, past, present, future. You can get your voice up there. Get your account. Make sure to follow me and request to speak. And I look forward to hearing from everybody at the space. So for today's agenda, we're going to be talking Clippers-Warriors, which was the early game today at 12.30. Then we're going to be talking Lakers-Pistons, which just concluded. Uh, They should have had Clippers-Warriors at 6.30, but I guess because the Clippers are playing again tomorrow, they wanted to give them enough time to rest. Then we'll be, I'll briefly talk about the Rams and the Packers. The Rams just lost three games in a row. Not great as we close down this NFL season. And then I'll also be talking Chelsea Man United and some results from the Prem this weekend as well. So make sure Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar, a dime. Obviously, again, YouTube algorithms not giving us favor. So make sure you guys leave a comment on the video. Let's get back in favor of these algorithms. Leave a comment on the video. Make sure to like. Make sure to share if that's what you do. But yeah, let's get back in favor of those algorithms. So we're popping up on feeds again because right now they are not messing with us still. Clippers and the Warriors. The Clippers. Obviously, you know, I'm trying to see how much we've progressed from the last time we played the Warriors on opening night. But in the same way, the Warriors have gained separation with the rest of the league since we played them. They have started to, you know, mount their resurgence as a title contender in these last couple of weeks and as the season has begun. And they are 17-2 and heading into this game. Steph Curry is the front runner for the MVP right now. Draymond Green, from what I've heard, has been playing at an all-star level again. Andrew Wiggins is guarding the best player just like last season and is more comfortable in his role. And Jordan Poole is another score they didn't have last season. And a lot of shooting alongside them with guys like Nemanja Bjelica and Otto Porter. Now, in the first quarter, I thought the Clippers started out really well. We were really active on defense. You could really tell that both teams are good defensive teams. I saw a stat today that said that we were number one and number two in the league in defensive rating, Warriors being number one. And you could see it today. The defense was sharp. You know, I thought we were doing a really good job, you know, talking. And whenever you watch the Warriors, or whenever I watch the Warriors, especially when the Clippers play them, I'm always watching Steph Curry when we're on defense, when the Clippers are on defense. Always. Because every single attack from their offense comes from Steph Curry. And that is off the ball. It's such a unique 
interesting thing. You know, obviously there's been countless offenses in NBA history, and every offense runs plays uh, sets to make the you know off ball threat look like they're getting the ball, and then something else happens. But Steph Curry is so unique in the sense that you can basically run your whole offense around the threat of him being off the ball, and it's so tough to guard because coming off every single screen, whether it's him setting the screen or him coming off the screen with or without the ball, you have to throw two bodies at him. You can't even let him get an inch of room because Draymond is looking for that pass at all times and when he gets that ball he is firing it quick and if you close out too hard he's running you know you're running him off the line he's getting into that mid-range area where he has that floater and he can finish well with both hands and he knows how to make the right kick and he just got it down to a science he's really got his game down to a science now and because of his off-ball prowess it lets him combat the little increase in hand checking and fouls and all that type of stuff that other players are struggling with a bit and but I thought in the first quarter we did a good job containing him in that sense. I thought we did a great job of talking over those those screens and throwing two at him when we needed to and just chasing guys like Jordan Poole and Steph from behind on those screens and creating turnovers. We I think we cost uh, or we uh, cr- created two turnovers off of Draymond Green in that first quarter and Marcus Morris Senior hit a couple of threes, semi contested threes, and we led. And I thought Zubats was causing problems with his size especially on the offensive glass for us um and we led 24 20 after one it was a good first quarter second quarter though the Warriors started to create more and more turnovers and I started to notice that of all teams that we've played so far in the league this season they try to jump the passing lanes the most they're very long and they're always anticipating teams to kick it out to the three-point line because they know that's what teams like to do. They at times even gave Eric Bledsoe and certain guys just like wide open layups because they're so ready for that next pass. And a lot of these teams are programmed to sometimes even pass up mid-ranges and floaters and layups or whatnot for the kick-out three, and they're ready for that next pass, especially Steph Curry, I think. I think he did a great job of playing the passing lanes and, and per- anticipating certain jump passes, and the Clippers did a lot of that, and they do a lot of that those jump passes, and I thought that there were very rushed offense today from the Clippers, low IQ, risky cross-court passes, and you know, a guy that's, and you gotta, you know, Paul doesn't set a good precedent with his eight turnovers, you know, we talked about Paul's IQ throughout Dime Dropper from the beginning, from the glorified Summer League episodes, to how much he's matured and gotten better off uh, with his on-ball decision-making and pick-and-rolls last year in the playoffs and this season, but today with increased physicality by Andrew Wiggins and he wasn't able to get to the rim as easily, and obviously the Warriors being a very switch-heavy team, you know, they did a good job. I think in the beginning they actually tried to trap Paul George a lot and blitz him, and you could see Paul Paul George's improvement making passes in those pocket passes to Zoo in the short roll, and we were getting good stuff. And I think the Warriors adjusted and went with a lot more. Wiggins is just going to fight over the top of the screen or switch type of defense, but mostly Wiggins fighting over the top. And I thought that I, I also thought that a lot of our guys, especially even Paul, you know, started not trying to drive it to the teeth of the defense enough. I thought that we were like, oh, the Warriors are going to play tough defense. You know, they're going to hand check a bit. The refs are going to let us play. We're not going to try to put pressure by getting closer to the basket enough it seemed like a lot of possessions the Clippers wouldn't even get the ball to the foul line the whole possession would go by and just pass it around at the three-point line because nobody can create separation and we're not feeding the ball inside no one's looking to post up in the middle or anything of that nature 
And I thought the Warriors showed their defensive prowess with their ability to switch, their ability to communicate. Their record doesn't lie. I always say this about teams, guys. Records do not lie. Your record is what it is for a reason. If you have had injuries, that means that injuries have killed your chemistry, and that's what your record is for a reason. The Golden State Warriors may have had an easy schedule to start the season, but they've taken full advantage of that. They've developed good habits. They've built good chemistry with one another. A lot of them are the returning players from last season. Steph Curry's playing out like the best player in the league. He is the best player in the league right now. I am very confident in that, in that statement. And right now their defense is, is clicking. And that's the difference with this team. Besides the fact that they make the extra pass and, you know, they play unselfish basketball, their defense is clicking on all cylinders. And last year they were a good defensive team too. But this year they really have an extra, I don't know what it is about them, but it's like they really are some people were saying last year that they were not trying to win, that Kerr was messing around with rotations. And Kerr was catching heat last season, too. It's like, oh, Kerr's going to waste Steph Curry's prime? Look at the way. How many coaches can get this team playing this way on both ends of the floor? Ask yourself that question. There's a reason why Kerr took this team to another level in 2015. And how soon we forget the decisions that he made, like putting Iguodala on the bench when he was the much Better player, more popular choice than Harrison Barnes. How about, you know, David Lee was injured, Draymond Green started, and his whole career changed. You know, he was forced to put Draymond Green in that starting lineup, but his whole career changed when he started playing for Steve Kerr, and then David Lee came back, and by that time, Draymond Green had solidified that spot. So, obviously, I have a little bit of bias with Steve because, you know, that's my pally bro right there, high school high school brethren. But I, I think Steve is a great coach, and I think that, Oftentimes, when you have so much talent in the NBA, it can overshadow your coaching abilities. And you saw that with Eric Spolstra. And it's the curse of having such great players. And, you know, Steve Kerr's proven himself even more this season. And I think that the Warriors, you know, they were sharp. Let's just put it that way. But the Clippers were still not out of it. We were only down by 2, 44-42 at halftime. But third quarter Warriors, you know, we heard about that. And that was a thing for many years in their big three plus KD days, third quarter Warriors. And today was no different. And I thought that's where they kind of won the game because they really set the tone, creating more turnovers. And one thing I've talked about this season a lot, Clipper Nation, is Reggie Jackson, when he is coming off of screens on the ball, high pick and roll action, he stops his dribble way too easily. He does not turn the corner enough for me. I like when he turns the corner and gets in the mid-range. I like when he turns the corner and gets in the floater. But a lot of times when a big hedges or you know when the big steps up and tries to get the ball out of his hands or just stop a drive, he stops his dribble way too prematurely. He doesn't keep the dribble alive so he can keep his options open and potentially move into a better angle for the right read. You know, he just stops his dribble and thinks the read's going to be there. Here's the thing. He stops his dribble... Then the player that was guarding him and getting over the screen has time to get back to his hip and the big man can get back to his guy because we have, besides Surge, with Isaiah and Zoo, they are rim rolling, pick and roll centers, not pick and pop centers. So on a pick and pop scenario, it's easy to make that kick pass, but on a pick and roll, you got to keep that dribble alive if the big comes up, okay? Because it's going to be hard to just throw it over the top when a seven-footer is coming on you. And Reggie's just, he needs to keep his dribble alive. I'm getting really tired of that. I thought Eric Bledsoe was actually pretty decent today. I thought he tried on defense. I thought, you know, 13 points, 10 rebounds, four of those being offensive rebounds, and four of nine, and only two of four from three. I thought he actually had a pretty solid game. But I thought that where we lost the game was in the end of the third quarter and the beginning of the fourth quarter. It was like 77-70 or 79-70, and we just could not score. And a lot of times, again, and we've seen this at various points, 
last year and this year, when especially this year, when teams start to get physical with us and teams we see that we're playing a good defensive team that's not going to give us cheap, easy baskets where just the mere threat of Paul George's brilliance is going to create open shots for the whole team. Of course, we don't have Nico Batum. We haven't had him in either matchup versus these guys, and that has hurt tremendously. Because I was talking to my dad today, and I was saying how I think Nico may be our second-best player. Because the difference between him and Reggie and Mook and... I guess those are the only guys that can be in that in that category, in that conversation. Zubats has been playing better lately, but I still wouldn't say he's our second best player because sometimes you can still get weak games from Zoo. But I think Nico's our second best player without Kawhi because despite the fact that Reggie is the 18 points, sometimes 20 plus point guy, even when Nico's not hitting, which honestly, he, for the most part, he hits, he does so many other little things, whether it's swinging and making the extra pass, making the right cut, playing good defense, communicating his length, being able to switch. He does so many good things that even if he's one for five, he is still such an important part of the team, making a positive impact. Reggie, there was nothing he did well tonight or today. Nothing. Oh, a five straight donut, a donut from Reggie Jackson. O of three from three, as I said, stopping his dribble too early, not trying to drive on anybody. Eric Bledsoe, as I said, actually played pretty well, but we are very, you know, turnover heavy. Three turnovers from Reg. As I said, eight from Paul. And, you know, I think Paul kept us in the game in that late third quarter, early fourth quarter, making some ridiculous shots, even with some hand checking that wasn't called. He was hitting some tough step backs, 18 footers, you name it. But, the problem is nobody besides him was really scoring. Another bad shooting night for Luke Kennard. Two of eight from the field and one of five from three. He didn't shoot well either against... Um, who did we just play? He didn't shoot well against Detroit either when I was at the game. Terrence Mann also didn't have a very good game. Eight points, five rebounds, but four turnovers and only one of five. I thought that the Warriors' good defense got under his skin a little bit. But we just didn't have a very good game. And... I think we went really stagnant offensively at times. You know, when we noticed their defense was good, we stopped moving. We stopped moving the ball, and it became very predictable, all perimeter-oriented. And in the fourth quarter, Steph Curry put the nail in the coffin with some incredible threes. You know, the first one was like a 30-footer. You know, you go into the screen. You know, you just got to hope that some guy doesn't make a 30-footer once in a while. He made it, and then he comes back, hits a little between the legs, behind the back into his right hand into a right wing pull up coming over a screen that's when I knew we were nailing the coffin and then getting over the screen we like blitzed him with Bledsoe and Reggie and he's going left and he steps back and shoots a basically double team three and hits it and the Curry fanboys were getting ticklish in the crowd and that's the reason why I didn't go to the game today because the Warriors obviously they've got a lot of fans because they're you know if a lot of fans here in LA because you know Bay Area is not too far and whatnot but I'll tell you what, I went to every single game of the 2014 playoffs, and those were Warriors fans that were there, like 20% of the stadium, 30 at most. It was not Curry fanboys. He didn't have a cult like that yet. He hadn't changed the game of basketball yet. And honestly, I will give him his credit because Steph Curry is going to win his third MVP this season, barring injury. And I'm a big Steph Curry, like, I'm not like a huge fan, but I love, I really love the guy. I think he's super unselfish. I think he's an all-time great. Obviously, he's changed the game of basketball, not for, the, for my personal preference, but when I, he's different. When I watch him play, obviously all the three-pointers, as I said, he's the only guy that if he's taking majority of his shots as threes, I got no problem with it because it's high percentage. Like he just makes anything. He throws up there and he has old school tendencies in the sense that he's an amazing off the ball player. And that's a very overlooked aspect of basketball today. And he utilizes pump fakes extremely well. And I just think that he has no ego really. And I love that about him. And I think that's why KD needed him more than vice versa because 
Curry off the ball is just insane. Not to say that KD's not great off the ball, but Curry is like all-time levels. Rip Hamilton levels, Ray Allen, but with even more more of an ability to hit, hit shots, so that gives him even more attention than all those other guys that I just named. And with the spacing of the modern NBA, that makes you an unstoppable offense in many ways uh, if you have the right spacers. And this year they have those spacers. And Steph... He can get you a good shot just running around out there. Seriously, he can literally get your offense a good shot just running around out there. And he's unlike any player I've ever seen. And I think he's the best player in the NBA today. I think he's going to win MVP this year. Uh, He has literally made the Warriors a brand in many ways. And I'm not saying a long-term brand of basketball, but in this last seven-year stretch or so, I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors led the NBA in jersey sales after the Lakers or something. They have become like... Not to the extent of the 90s Bulls. Do not get it twisted. But I'm just saying in the sense that you go to games around the league now and there are people with Curry jerseys everywhere. There are people that are repping as Warriors fans. I don't know if they're real Dubs fans, but these are fanboys. If, you know, they want the Warriors to win. They're there to see baby-faced assassin Curry. They are, he has a cult. He has a cult. I saw a sign today that said, here from the Philippines for Stephen Curry. Like, this guy is starting to reach Kobe Bryant, LeBron James level fandom around the world you know maybe not quite but close to it you know and also because he's like you know not don't mean to sound weird but he's a handsome male so women like him you know he's a very likable guy and now he's starting to reach crazy levels of popularity and that's why i did not go to the game today i'm not trying to deal with fanboy central that can stay up north uh i'll go to a game against real opposition with a real ball club called the new orleans pelicans tomorrow night at 7 30 so catch me at the game <laughs> catch me on the vlog and by the way if you didn't see my vlog on the uh on the Pistons game, go check it out. Just posted. But yeah, the Clippers lose it. The The Warriors pulled away. They were the better team, point blank. When Reggie Jackson has a donut and we don't have Nicholas Batum, we're just not going to win games against good teams like this. Stephen Curry, 33 points, 12 of 22 from the field, 7 of 13 from three. Absolutely ridiculous. As I said, 33 points, five rebounds, six assists, six steals. That's the biggest, I think, most impressive part of his night, honestly. Jordan Poole, he started off slow, but he got hot in that third quarter after Isaiah Hartenstein talked shit to him on a on a reverse layup that he blocked. And all of a sudden, Poole started making threes to the point where he was in bank threes at the end of the third. And that killed us. 17 points for Poole, 6 of 16 from the field, 4 of 10 from three. 40% overall, not bad. 18 points for Otto Porter Jr. off the bench. 18 and 10. 10 rebounds to go along with two steals. Plus 22. He was the highest of any player in the game. On 5 of 10 shooting and 3 of 7 from 3. Draymond Green, 8 points, 4 rebounds, 7 assists, 2 steals on 3 of 7. I thought he was okay. Played good defense, though. Andrew Wiggins played really good defense. His stat line does not do him justice. 12 points, 7 boards, 2 blocks on 4 of 12 from the field. 2 of 5 from 3, though. He did seem to hit a high percentage of those. The Warriors shot 42.5% from 3, 17 of 40, as they win 105-90. I think they've won 8 straight, and now they are 18-2. and And with Clay comes back, they are as real a championship contender as it gets. I still think the Suns are the best team in the league right now, but the Warriors are right there with them. Paul George, another really solid night. 30 points, 5 rebounds, 5 assists, but the 8 turnovers was way too much. I only say he was very solid because he was the only one that was consistently giving us good chance to score. Uh, I already talked about Eric Bledsoe, 13 and 10. Reggie, yeah, 0 of 5, 0 points, just not good enough. Zubats only played 21 minutes, and I honestly think that's a mistake. I think he needs to play more. 8 points, 8 rebounds for Zu. 3 of 5 from the field. Marcus Morris Sr., he's still getting his legs underneath him, so I'm not too mad about his performance. 13 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists. 
5 at 13 from the field and 2 of 5 from 3. Not too terrible, honestly. Needs some more games. But the rest, we didn't get anything from the bench. You know, a combined 26 points from the bench, and some of those were in garbage time. So Clippers dropped to 11 and 9. 105 to 90, but they're back tomorrow against the Pelicans, and I'll be there with another game day vlog. Uh, I've gone a little long here about the uh, Clippers, so let's go over to the Lakers now against the Pistons. You know, the Lakers coming off a triple overtime thriller. If you didn't catch my thoughts on that, check out the recap. But they're playing the Pistons tonight, the same Pistons team that I saw get obliterated by the Clips. And I noticed in the first quarter again, Frank Vogel persisting with this lineup of DeAndre Jordan and Avery Bradley, who are, you know, especially Avery Bradley at this point, is not offering anything. At this point, I would just start Ellington and just take Bradley out of the rotation because his defense, you know, it's definitely better than Ellington and all them. But, you know, when it's a mismatch, he doesn't do anything. Uh, rotations, he's not that great. He's just pretty good on the ball, and he fights through screens. But against bigger wings now, he's just not the same. He's a little slower now. And he's not that same 2020 version. And there's a reason why the Warriors uh, waived him. So I think the Lakers need to put him in the back burner and just have him as a bench warmer, ready for if someone gets hurt. Wayne Ellington has not really played much, and he didn't play much tonight. But I think he should be a. Uh, I think he's a better option starting. DeAndre Jordan, though, you know, in the beginning of the game, he was just clogging up the paint, not doing much. The defense was out of whack. The Pistons went up seven-one, and I was thinking to myself, here we go again. You know, Vogel starting out with DJ and Avery Bradley, and it's just not really paying dividends. They're digging themselves into a little bit of holes. They come back off the timeout. Anthony Davis does a really good job getting to the rim on a, you know, he was isolated on the left wing, sweep through, two dribbles, and a dunk. Then after that, rim run, seal in transition. I remember, I don't remember if it was Russ or LeBron. I think it was Russ that threw it over the top. AD got a layup, and then he made a three. So again, we always talk about it with AD. We've been talking about it for over a year. Start out getting easy baskets inside, then the jumper will fall when you see things go through. And I thought that he ended the first quarter much better. I think the Laker defense was pretty good in that first quarter. And the only reason why the Pistons were still in the game were Jeremy Grant, who was hitting, and Cade Cunningham, who played much better today than he did against uh, my Clippers. He actually showed me some real stuff today and was hitting mid-ranges off screens, and so the Lakers were only up by two after one. Um, I thought LeBron found a pretty good balance in the first quarter of you know, trying to push it in transition as quickly as he can, even if it meant not controlling and dictating the offense. But I also thought that DJ... After the initial timeout and me, you know, saying they didn't play very well in the beginning, in the very first couple minutes, I thought he actually had some good plays in the first quarter, getting some deflections in the half-court defense. Uh, yeah, defensively in the half-court. And there was one play where he ran, rim, rim ran just like AD, and LeBron threw him a bullet nice pass, and he, he sealed nicely and dunked. And Russ also got off to a pretty good start shooting the ball, hit his bank shot, his classic you know, bank shot on the left side of the court that he's really hit at a high level, had a high clip this season. And then he hit a three as well. And in the second quarter in the LeBron-led unit, I thought LeBron played well. He hit some threes, and his shot was going tonight. And that's the thing about LeBron. He's, he's clearly showing that even though he got to the rim a decent amount tonight, he's clearly going more three-point heavy this season. And that's what his, the evolution of his game as he's gotten older. And he's gotten much better at that three ball. The only thing is, what is he going to do when that's not going in. And that's what we saw the other night against Sacramento that proved to be one of the reasons they lost, is what is he going to do when that shot's not falling. Tonight it was falling, and it was opening up other things for him. Even there was a small lineup in that second quarter where the Lakers went with LeBron at the five, and obviously only Isaiah Stewart was the tallest guy for the Pistons, so it wasn't like there was some big guy that could take advantage of LeBron or the Lakers in that sense. 
But LeBron has a screener, you know, similar to how Giannis is a screener. And we saw that in Cleveland with Kyrie at times and in Miami. I love LeBron as the screener because when he's rolling to the basket, man, you've got to throw two bodies on him to stop that freight train. And it was one play. I don't remember who got the assist, but LeBron was a screener and he got a layup, I believe. And I liked it a lot. Um, no Dwight Howard tonight. He was rested in favor of a little bit of LeBron at the five. And then they put DJ and AD back together. Usually DJ just starts the first half and second half, and then he doesn't play for the rest of the half usually, except for very few occasions this season. But today he came back in to kind of like almost close the second quarter with AD, and I thought it was just going a little stagnant again. I thought the Lakers kind of let up, and the Pistons cut it down within three at the half. But Russ Braun and AD had found a fairly nice rhythm. I didn't think AD was too great in the second quarter when he came back in off the bench after his strong first, but LeBron and AD got going in the big three or all in double figures at half, which was a good sign and would prove to be something good going into the second half. Jeremy Grant, Cade Cunningham were doing well. Frank Jackson, fairly impressive today also with his jump shot, especially on one shot in the right corner. If you watch the game, you'll remember. He caught the ball and there was, I think, a, a mellow or a 6'7-like guy uh, closing out on him, and he kept the ball up high without even bringing it down, just caught it and fired it up in one motion, and it was very impressive. But second half and in the third quarter is where the Lakers finally started playing like the team that you expect them to be before the season. And by what they did was they created turnovers and started to finally get some stops. And when they were getting stops, and a lot of them were honestly the Pistons just getting the same looks they made in the first half and they just didn't make them. Like, I'm, I'm not, it wasn't all great Laker defense. But when they started missing, and I thought especially LeBron did a really good job of outletting and looking for his teammates, especially Russ, up ahead of the court. And Russ did a good job of attacking. LeBron had a nice lob to AD. And, you know, AD had some nice pick and rolls with Russ where Russ did a good job finding him on those lobs when he got smaller guys switched on to him when they did that. Overall, just a good third quarter for the Lakers. THT finally, after a slow first half shooting the ball, made a spot-up three. I think it was LeBron on the kick. And the Lakers went up by 16. And, you know, at that point, Laker fans are starting to think, do we have this in the bag? You know, LeBron's still hitting threes. And slowly but surely, you know, the Lakers kind of take their foot off the gas. And the Pistons outscored the Lakers 36-27 in the fourth to cut it down to six, cut it down to four. Jeremy Grant, you know, Cade Cunningham making threes. Cade Cunningham did a good job of, you know, coming off screens and showing me a little something-something today. But one thing I didn't like, the Pistons, Trey Lyles was also hitting as well on those pick and pops especially, but at Pistons, they had a real chance to get back in this game. They had some stupid plays. There was one time in the fourth quarter where Melo tried to outlet, and I don't think he even like knew what he was doing. He just thought he had a Laker teammate up ahead. Outlet it, and he went straight to Sadiq Bey's hands in half court, at, at half court, and they had like a three-on-one break or something, and they settled for a three. They missed, and then Westbrook came down the court, and I think it was Malik Monk who had not hit a jump shot the whole game, and they treated him like he was Steph Curry and attacked stuck to Malik Monk like glue and didn't pick up the ball, which was Russell Westbrook, on a wide-open red carpet runway to the basket. It was just the worst basketball. And guys, I'm telling you this right now, and this is not hating. This is real shit. The sum of the basketball that is played today in the NBA, like stretches and possessions, are so appalling and terrible, I cannot even emphasize how stupid it is. Like, it's so bad. It's actually so bad. I wish I could literally break it down how terrible it is sometimes. And that was one of them. But they made it, you know, Russ started getting lazy off the ball on defense. Like, I remember there was one possession late in the fourth quarter where he just fell asleep ball watching and a guy cut back door on him. I think it was Sadiq Bey or Frank Jackson. And the, the 
the Lakers were over helping on drives when they do not need to, over doubling, and guys were hitting threes that got him back in the game, but ultimately the Lakers closed the door. A really nice end one by LeBron going right, getting that shoulder into Kate Cunningham, or was it Killian Hayes? You know, Killian Hayes was introduced to the shoulder a couple times tonight. Unstoppable, and he lowers that into you. He creates so much space. You just bounce off of him like a bullet off Superman's chest. But Anthony Davis, also with some good plays to close the game. A lot of them created by Russell Westbrook. Overall, and Westbrook with a nice layup. On, I think it was with the left hand or right hand. I don't know. He drove to the basket and finished the game nicely when they tried to press LeBron a little bit. And Russ had some nice cuts tonight. And overall, the Lakers get the job done with the win. It was not pretty. 110 to 106 over Detroit. They move on to 11 and 11. Finally, two games in a row with the big three intact. So let's see if they can get 10 games in a row together and then we can really start making some judgments on this team. Jeremy Grant, 32 points, six rebounds, four assists on 11 of 20 from the field and four of six from three. Sadiq Bey had a tough shooting night, even though he had 11 rebounds, 2 of 9 from the field, and 0 of 3 from 3. Cade Cunningham, 15 points, 11 rebounds, 5 turnovers though, 6 of 16 from the field, and 3 of 9 from 3. And then Trey Lyles, 5 of 7 from the field, 3 of 4 from 3, 13 points and 7 boards. Frank Jackson, 17 points on 5 of 13 from the field, and 3 of 8 from 3. And Hamadou Diallo chipping in with 10 points on 4 of 7 for Detroit. For the Lakers, off the bench, Taylor Horton Tucker ended up having a decent game. 12 points, 8 rebounds, 4 assists, and no turnovers on 4 of 10 from the field. His 3-ball still not been great, only 1 of 4 in that department. Malik Monk had an inconsistent, you know, a typical inconsistent showing where he just didn't play well tonight after having a really good game the other night. 1 of 5 from the field, 2 points for Malik in 22 minutes. Wayne Ellington only played 15 minutes. Two of four from the field for five points. Carmelo just had a stinker tonight. Donut for Melo. 0 of 7 and 0 of 4 from 3. Bradley also with a donut. 0 of 5 from the field and 0 of 4 from 3. And almost all those were wide, wide open. DeAndre Jordan, 21 minutes played. Nine points, six boards, two blocks, two steals, four of four. So not too bad. Plus eight as well. And then the big three. Russell Westbrook, another great game. Two really good games in a row for him. 25 points, 6 rebounds, and 9 assists, and only 3 turnovers, so 3 to 1 assist to turnover ratio, 10 of 16 from the field, and 1 of 3 from 3, only shot 3 threes, stayed aggressive, the only thing that's a little bit of a concern, 4 of 8 from the foul line, Lakers only shooting 15 of 25 from the line tonight, 60%, not good enough against better teams, Anthony Davis, Decent game, still should shoot more than 15 shots, especially when he's shooting 66% from the field. 24 and 10, three blocks, two steals, 10 of 15 in 38 minutes, two of two from three. LeBron, probably my player of the game overall. I thought he played really well tonight. 33 points, five rebounds, nine assists, and I think it was all in the flow without forcing too much and putting anybody in a box. 12 of 20 from the field. 4 of 9 from 3, and 5 of 8 from the line. The only thing is the free throws. And it was only 2 turnovers. So the Lakers only committing 12 turnovers. It's one of the reasons they won tonight. But that's it for the basketball portion. I also want to talk Rams for just a second against the Packers. Three games in a row lost. And I've noticed I had a bad feeling today when Matt Stafford again. Uh, this was a fumble this time. Right around our own end zone. And... The Packers, you know, scored within a couple of plays, and that just sets a terrible precedent. Just a terrible start to the game. 
to give the ball away and gift points like that. And we've done it again. We did it against Tennessee, and we did it against San Francisco, and then we had more interceptions, and we just it throws everything out of whack. I think obviously other parts of the team can be better. Van Jefferson, Cooper Cup, Odell, a couple times, you know, catches that have been routine in the beginning of the season getting dropped and balls, you know, the careless passes by Stafford. You know, 0-3 since we got Von Miller. And I'm a little bit concerned. We need to start getting some wins before we start this playoffs because if we keep losing, we our playoff chances are in jeopardy. I still think we'll be fine. I'm trying to go to the game next week, though. I've been planning it out all season to go to the game next week against the Jags, my first Rams game at SoFi. I'm trying to go and get a vlog for you guys there. But we'll see. But very concerning right now. I mean, the Packers are a good team, and in Lambeau is a tough place to play. But I am concerned. Chelsea, Man United. We're going to close it at that. We're going to end around the 35-minute mark, uh, maybe a little over. But Chelsea, Man United at Stamford Bridge. I expected three points. No Lukaku still, but he was on the bench today, so it was really good to see Rum back into things. But you saw very clearly what Man United was trying to do. And that was to play three defensive midfielders with Matic, McTominay, and Fred and park the bus and hope for a counterattack. And that's one one way that Chelsea, as I've, when I've talked about them earlier this season, have we struggle when teams, and we've struggled for like three years now, when teams put 10 men behind the ball and absorb the pressure and try to get us to break them down. And we struggle with that. We don't really have too much Great creativity. Uh, Ziyech is pretty creative, and he had some good moments today. I thought he was good. Hudson Odoi was okay. He works a little bit better in space, not when teams just park it, even though he has good service. Uh, we didn't really have a target man, though, in the middle. Timo Werner is not big. He is really good at just popping up with opportunities and making good runs, but he's not the same against big center backs like Bay and Lindelof as a Lukaku would be. We couldn't really create too many chances outside of Callum Hudson-Odoi getting it on goal in the first 10 minutes. De Gea made a really good foot save. And, you know, going into the half, we hadn't created much. Um, and then in the second half, a terrible mistake by Jorginho of all people. Of all people, Jorginho. Terrible touch at midfield. Sancho has the ball and is just running. Nobody going to catch him. He could have done so many things. He could have passed it to Marcus Rashford. You know, he eventually was basically shooting at an empty net because Mendy was in a rock between a rock and a hard place. And I was concerned for a sec. You know, I was hoping to see Ronaldo start the whole game because ever since I've been a Chelsea fan, and that's been 12 years, I've never seen us play against Ronaldo. So I was hoping that I would see us play against them, against him. But he came in off the bench and really didn't really do anything. But we went down. We got a penalty, somewhat generous. Aaron Juan Bissaka. You know, tried to clear the ball and hit Thiago Silva in the back of the leg. And Jorginho finished the penalty. And then Antonio Rudiger had the best chance of the game besides that at the very end where he skidded over the top. I don't think he thought the ball was going to get to him. It was a last-minute cross. But at the in the end, not a great result for Chelsea. I think our only bad result of the season besides the Burnley draw at home. You know, Man City, we got outplayed. I'm not going to say that we should have gotten a result there. But we didn't even create too many chances. And I hope Mason Mount and Christian Pulisic get back into the starting lineup for the next game at least. I think Callum Hudson-Odoi, as great as he's been, needs a little bit of a rest. I thought Akeem Ziyech played well. I wouldn't mind if he stayed in the starting 11. But I'm excited to see Lukaku back in there. We need our main man back. Get him some confidence again. Get him in the goals. Because he hasn't scored since, I think, September. So we need to get him back in the goals. Get his confidence going again. But 
I'm, I'm not too pressed about the, the draw. At least we didn't lose, but we should have gotten three points. And with 14 or 15 corners to one, and we just, just every single one got cleared. You know, we got to do better. But good point for Man United. You got to give them credit. They came, they defended, and they got the result. Uh, I also watched Liverpool this weekend. They were on it, on it in all cylinders, just playing so great this season. You know, the typical Liverpool we saw in 2020. You know, they move the ball so fast. They're connected. They know where each other is, or they know where each other are. Um, their fullbacks just bomb forward and cause problems. They move the ball quickly. They're inventive. And Salah is just playing the best football of his career. And, you know, Sadio Mane is always dangerous. And Diogo Jota has been great this season. Seven goals in 14 games or seven goals in 13 games. He pops up with a, in the right place at the right time. He's been great, even though Firmino has not been able to play every game and doesn't need to play every game because Diogo Jota has been so good. I thought Fabinho was good. I thought Thiago Alcantara was good. He even got a goal on a deflection, and it was very comfortable for Liverpool in the end. And then Arsenal. They've really turned the corner since Arteta's really been able to get his signings integrated into the team. Tomiyasu, another assist this weekend. Or I don't know if I'm saying another. Like, he's gotten one before. I don't know if he has. If you're an Arsenal fan, correct me. But Tomiyasu, great ball over the top. Great one-time finish by Martinelli coming off the bench. Aubameyang, another quiet game. But overall, Arsenal, you know, they also move the ball well. Much better than in the past. You know, much more forward thinking, not as much sideways, backwards, conservative passing, taking more risks, looking a lot more creative and dangerous. And they are starting to play an actual attractive style of soccer again, like the old Arsenal days. And, you know, Bukayo Saka is one of the reasons that is. Same with Emil Smith-Rowe, two young players from the academy that are really starting to blossom this season. Saka, obviously, I've become a fan after the sympathy I felt for him after the Euro Cup final missed penalty. But a great goal. This weekend, again, slithering through and finishing nicely. And Tomiyasu, great. Thomas Partey, great. And I really like Sabi Lakonga, too. I think he's got, you know, a good creativity about him. He slings the ball well across the pitch and makes good forward passes. And I just like he has good potential. And I think Arsenal will finish top six this season. I initially had them finishing eighth, but I think they're going to finish top six. And depending on how Man United do with the new manager, I think Arsenal could sneak into that fourth spot. I really do. I think they are a better team than I thought. And now that we've seen them integrate their signings, Ben White, Gabriel, even Nuno Tavares, who's been really good going both ways at left back, you know, I think that Arsenal are starting to show some signs and Arteta is starting to really secure his job long term, or at least for the rest of the season and maybe next season. Thanks for joining me, guys, for this weekend recap. Sorry I went on a little long. Hope I got you guys caught up on everything. Let me hear from the live subscribers, 15 of you wearing those, waiting oh so patiently in the chat.